Bacchanal! Bacchanal, boys! Bacchanal! <laughs> Truths Universally Acknowledged, a courtship recap podcast. I'm Emma Soberano. And I'm Molly Curran. And we have a lot to talk about this week. <laughs> what an episode, My God, Molly. so much happened, and the drama really reached a The drama. Peak. Honestly, it did, but it was still somehow, like, not what I expected it to be. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And it really, like, most of it came, like, right at the end. And I guess this kind of leads us into our topic for this week, which is sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Lincoln Chapman and Remy. (laughs) Oh, God, I hate myself. (laughs) No, I love it. I love it. (laughs) But yeah, that really was the crux of the issue. Not so much the having of sex as the other people finding out about the having of sex. Yeah, and like how that made other people feel and whether or not they were equipped to handle that. Honestly, I'm pretty glad the drama was not the having of sex. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, I think, and we saw this in the episode, Nicole said like, yeah, it's the Regency and this would have been completely taboo, but I am a modern woman, and I'm going to do what I need to, right? Yeah. I'm glad that she's keeping that boundary. Yeah, so I think, because we'll talk, obviously, about the whole episode and all of the various suitors' reactions and all of that, but I think maybe what would be helpful is if, for this sort of portion, we just preface by talking a little bit, I mean, we could talk a little bit about, like, sex in the Regency, but I think really the key thing is you weren't supposed to have it before marriage. Um. Yeah. And just to be brief, the reason that you weren't supposed to have it before marriage and the reason that it was so improper for specifically young women to have sex before marriage and even to like know about it to a degree was basically paternity. We've talked about how marriage in the aristocracy at this period was meant to secure alliances. It was really like political and economic. And so if you were going to have an heir, you didn't want any questions about the paternity of the child. right so that was really the reason and then it kind of got spun into a whole purity culture thing (laughs) what is maybe more relevant for our understanding of this episode is less about how the regency era actually thought about sex and more i think how romance the structure of romance treats sex and how reality television and specifically dating reality shows treat sex because i think that this episode really bumped up against a lot of different norms and i think the norm that got flagged was oh in the regency era this wouldn't be okay but that's not actually i think what was so remarkable about what happened i think really one of the most remarkable things about what happened here is how normal it felt yes it wasn't like on The Bachelor when you have to wait until the fantasy suites and then they do this whole to-do about it where they like give keys to the fantasy suites and it's a whole production. It was just kind of normal. Right. On The on the Bachelor or The Bachelorette, you wait until you get to the top three. Like there are three people remaining. 
It's basically the finale at that point, right? I think that is the final episode, is Fantasy Suites. Or maybe the second to last episode. It's the second to last episode, usually. It's gotten a little different in recent seasons, just because Fantasy Suites in recent seasons, especially like this past season of The Bachelor, became a huge source of drama with kind of unspoken expectations about sex and the fact that most of the time the lead does not kind of reveal who they have had sex with and in this case they did and it became a big problem well and in many ways right it's treated as sex is sort of this like final hurdle you get through to see if this person is the one because Mm -hmm. in the structure of romance sex is for the one you know Mm -hmm. it's not so much about waiting until after marriage but it is about the person that you have sex with is the person that you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to love them and you have to want to be with them or at least you have to not realize that you're going to want to be with them for the rest of your life. Yeah, it sets up a trajectory of specialness and sacrosanctness or sacrosanctity. I don't know why right. I'm making up words at this point. And we do see that a bit still, that kind of expectation in this episode specifically with Captain Kim. But with Nicole herself, Miss Remy, she doesn't quite frame it that way. And I think that's very interesting because I do think Captain Kim is very much approaching from a sex is reserved for the person you love. And Mm -hmm. you don't have sex to figure out if you love someone. You certainly don't have sex if you're just sort of into somebody and you're just kind of seeing where it goes. And I think what's interesting is if you compare to, so on one hand, you have The Bachelor, where there is this sort of weird day that you're allowed to have sex. (laughs) It's your designated sex day. It's like breaking the fast. (laughs) It's like built into the structure. Of course, the people choose whether or not to have sex, but the opportunity is provided regardless. Mm -hmm. And it is about, okay, this is how you really narrow down from these two to three people that you love or might love, and you figure out which one is the one you're going to spend your life with. And we don't really Mm -hmm. know any of the details. We don't even know for sure if they do have sex. There are lots of, like, coy hints and such. And this has changed a bit, which you said has caused some controversy. And then I feel like on the other hand, you have reality shows like Love Island or Mm -hmm. um, any of these ones where it's much more about hooking up and maybe maybe people want to fall in love but you get the sense that more of what the show is about is about watching people you know get drunk and have sexual encounters and Mm -hmm. both types of reality show are considered trashy but I think there's one that's sort of in this earnest mode of like this is about finding love and then there's the one that's like Mm -hmm. this is about finding fame and maybe finding love and having sex along the way. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I think you have to consider also what the end goal of each of these shows is. Like with The Bachelor, there's the expectation that you come out with a proposal and an engagement that's very rarely not happened. Mm -hmm. With The Bachelor, right? And also it seems maybe with this show we have this expectation that there's an engagement at the end. It's privileging marriage as the outcome. Whereas with other shows that's not necessarily the case. They might leave together with the expectation of a relationship, but there isn't necessarily the expectation of marriage or an engagement. 
And so what I think is interesting about this show is that it does have that kind of expectation of an engagement at the end, and yet we don't have the playing into that idea that sex is the last step before an engagement. In this case, I think we do kind of see that from Mr. Chapman, who says, you know, I'm I need to figure out whether this is someone that I'm going to marry. But with Nicole, it seems like, I mean, we don't get a ton of her reasoning behind this, but it seems like she is doing just what she feels she needs to do to figure out this process, right? And she's having fun. <laughs> yeah, it just it just feels like the extension of a date. You have a good date and you're like, I want to take this guy home. And so she does. Yeah. Like, really, that is what it was. It wasn't mm-hmm. anything extraordinary because it was a good date that ended in presumably sex. Again, we don't necessarily know exactly what happened between these two people because we cut away. But it is pretty much implied that Thank God. <laughs> they, you know, were, were intimate, sexually intimate in some way. And I think that was just so refreshingly normal to me. Yes. Which isn't to say that I don't understand why... Some of the other suitors might not be into that. I get it. Mm -hmm. But I think for Nicole, on her part, I was just very impressed with her willingness to just kind of like do what she wanted to do and understand that this is just kind of a normal thing. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a whole deal. I continue to be impressed with Miss Remy as a dating show lead. I think that she is really impressively striking the balance between earnestly looking for a relationship, enjoying the process of having all these hot guys, you know, around her, and also understanding that there may be rules or there may be expectations set by the genre, but her willingness to bend or break those rules as she kind of deems necessary. I don't know. I just, I really like her. I do too. One of the things that I really appreciate is, as you said, the recognition that there are these rules and expectations, but that her journey and her feelings really kind of come first here where this is supposed to be about her finding love. And if those rules and expectations are getting in the way of that, then it's not helpful to her journey, right? And so, yeah, I think in terms of sex, I think that's one of the areas where it's just there are all these unspoken rules. And in this show, rules that I feel like aren't even, haven't even been addressed, really, right? I think the the implication is, well, it's the Regency, so just kind of follow those rules, not that anyone really has a strong sense of the actual history of the Regency. This is perhaps where some of the conflict kind of comes from, is that these folks have all signed up for what is supposed to be a Regency-inspired show, and they are emphasizing the kind of etiquette aspect and the chivalry aspect and all the expectations that come along with that. And at the same time, they aren't laying out the kind of hard and fast rules. I mean, as far as we know, they haven't gone in saying you will not have alone time or the possibility for intimacy until week X, you know? And similarly, maybe there are expectations around propriety in terms of 
kissing, displaying physical affection in other ways around each other that come from the genre, but those aren't spoken out loud, and so it seems like each of the men has their own version of what the rules are in their head and mm -hmm. at the same time because of the genre maybe or because of the the regency aspect some of them at least seem to think that everyone else should play by those rules or that those rules apply to everyone else but really it's in their head that is their own manual that they can't necessarily expect everyone else to have the same manual right you see this so clearly with the conflict that has happened multiple times now over should you kiss at the farewell ball <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and which just seems like such a low stakes issue and mm -hmm. yet there seem to be very strong opinions on various ends yeah and some of the people with those opinions are a little hypocritical right like oh. mr bokikio um when i say a little bit we see at the end of last week's episode when Mr. Judge kisses her, Mr. Pokikio's face is just like, he looks so annoyed. But he had kissed her at the farewell ball, like, the week prior, so he, he can't expect that he's the only one who's allowed to kiss her. It's silly. The thing I wanted to flag about the whole sex issue, from the perspective of someone who just thinks about our ways of narrativizing romance and narrativizing love, is that a lot of these shows really link true love with sex, right? Like you don't have sex until it's true love or you have sex to prove it's true love or find out it's true love or however you wanna think about it. But the idea is sex is for the right person and not just something that people do with people they like sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so the marriage in this show of I think a really dedicated interest in finding, you know, quote unquote, the one finding love with also a willingness to recognize that attraction to multiple people happens, sex happens, and it doesn't have to be, it can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a moral crisis. <laughs> you know, Nicole yeah. is not doing anything wrong by being attracted to multiple men or by- They're all attractive. Oh my God. <laughs> right. <laughs> But the interesting thing, right, is I think I've seen some conversation online of people trying to guess who the final person is, like who she ends up with, and because she had this intimate moment with Mr. Chapman, it seems like that has played into some people's ideas that like he's the one at the end. I'm not sure I buy that, actually. It seems like they have great chemistry, but... It also kind of seems like she was just like, we have great chemistry. I want to have sex with this guy. And that's totally fine. Like, you can have sex. People have sex with folks they don't end up with all the time. And I think that's really what's at the core of what you're saying, Molly, is yeah. that that isn't something that we get to see in these romance arcs, right? Whether that is a romance novel or a TV show, or especially a reality TV show that's playing specifically on this, this idea of romance. And so here, the fact that we maybe do get to see that is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think we will talk more in depth about what 
actually happens in and what we get to see in the episode but I think that's good background on kind of how sex tends to be portrayed or the expectations around sex within both romance as a genre and reality tv dating as a genre a link genre absolutely okay well let's take a short break and when we come back we will recap the episode Welcome back to Truths Universally Acknowledged. This week we are talking about episode six of The Courtship and the Bacchanal. Yes. So this episode was titled Parents on Leave. I, again, just think it's interesting how much they're framing all of the events around the idea that the parents are away. Because it's not as if there's no one watching. You know, it's not like there's no supervision. They're on television. I know. Like, her parents will see it eventually. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. And even some of the moments that she has with Mr. Chapman, I was very aware of the fact that they are being filmed. Um, Uh I don't know how people on television manage to forget about the cameras. So we open on the suitors playing soccer amidst the flowers. I guess before we open on the landscape and as... Our narrator, Mr. Edwards, says some freshly laundered swans. Yeah, <laughs> very <laughs> that was cute. funny. But really, the first bit of interaction that we get is the suitors all playing soccer and talking about Mr. Judge's kiss with Miss Remy at the farewell ball, the previous episode. This is where we get Danny B's little bit of irony and that he mm-hmm. does not like seeing Miss Remy getting kissed by or kissing anyone else, even though he tends to kiss her in front of other people all the time, um, yes. including at the farewell ball. Obviously, it doesn't feel great to see someone that you're into kissing someone else. I think there's a really interesting subtle theme throughout this episode. Always, of course, I'm paying attention to Mr. Cones. and. Yeah. You know, Mr. Cohn says, you know, oh, I'm not feeling good after seeing that. And I think we'll see throughout this episode, he is really feeling, I think, a little hurt or at least a little... Underappreciated. Yeah. You know, I think he really he really wants time with her. He really wants a chance with her and he isn't getting it. And so he makes these comments throughout. And I think it's just kind of an interesting comparison because I just feel like he never brings that energy to her. And he doesn't even really bring mm-hmm. it against the other guys. Yeah, and I mean, I think we are kind of seeing this episode part of perhaps the drama, you know, it becomes pretty clear this episode who the front runners are in some ways, right? Like yeah. who she is interested in spending more time with. At least this episode is Mr. Chapman, who is really taking advantage of the fact, as Miss Remy notes, that her parents are out of town, right? And maybe he gets to do things that he wouldn't if her parents were just kind of like constantly with her. Yeah. But there are other men too who have kind of faded into the background a little bit or who we have not seen get as much time with her, including 
Mr. Mumbray and Mr. Hunter, who started off strong, but has since, like, this episode, it felt like he was really kind of more color commentary than anything. Yeah, I think that's right. The other people who are discussing this kiss, Mr. Judge is discussing it with Captain Kim, Mr. Mumbray, and Mr. Holland, and notably, there's a bit of a, I mean, I wouldn't even say, like, disagreement, but just kind of a tense moment where Mr. Judge says he does not regret the kiss. He thinks it was a magical moment. And Mr. Kim sort of once again says he has certain values that he believes in and he wants to stick by those values. And so the kiss did bother him. Yeah, I think this is interesting, especially the way that Captain Kim is framing it on his values. There's a little bit of tension here, right? Between like, okay, those are your values. And obviously it's fine for you to feel however you feel. But the question of blame or whether other people need to live by your values values can get a little tricky, right? Where in some ways it seems like he's getting a little bit upset with Mr. Judge here, but at the same time, I think he himself is trying to kind of keep that distinction, but it doesn't always quite work. Sometimes there's a little bit of slipperiness there where he slips into perhaps being frustrated with the other men when really he can't expect them to live by his rules right right and i think i mean here's the key thing for me always is that nicole is really happy about it so yeah we cut exactly to her and miss cleary and they're in bed having some like girl talk and they're also talking about this kiss and miss remy is glowing she says that, and... that mr judge is really coming up in the rankings yeah and she specifically notes that he's kind of displacing Mr. Bokikyo. And Tessa here is like, oh, oh my gosh, really? Which I think is where we really kind of get the first sense that they actually have had more conversations, perhaps, about who Nicole's frontrunners are and how she's feeling than we have really gotten to see. Because it seems like Tessa feels like clearly Danny B has been a Mm frontrunner. And... I think Nicole is starting to get a little disenchanted with him this episode, which I'm kind of glad about, to be honest. Uh, Me too. Yeah, it's no secret that Molly and I are not big Danny B fans, but she has obviously only gotten to see one side of him, and we get to see the side that he presents to the other men as well as to the camera in in the moments. Right, exactly. So they're having their, you know, cute little girl talk, and then who should come in, sort of knocking on the door, but Mr. Chapman, dressed in sort of a livery, the kind yeah, of Yeah, he's dressed as the butler. <laughs> With a, a tea tray. And says he's bringing breakfast in bed, basically. And Miss Remy is so excited. She, like, is very surprised, but she seems very excited, and she asks Miss Cleary to give them some alone time, and they lay in bed, and she and Mr. Chapman, and they're just sort of talking and kissing. This was the first, like, real conversation that I felt like they had that made me get their attraction to each other beyond the physical which is why I'm not ruling him out entirely. I agree that it does seem to be a primarily physical thing, but I think they have this very cute moment, right, where he says it'd be easy to miss a sunrise being in this bed, especially with you. 
And if you'll recall several episodes ago, he said that he never misses a sunrise and never misses a sunset. Yeah, and she says something really cute here, which is, but I want to see those sunrises with you. So I think you see both of them saying, like, I would do this thing for you. I would miss the sunrise for you. And her saying, like, well, I would get up early for you, which I'm like, wow, that really, (laughs) really shows something. You also see what they are kind of hoping for in each other. Like, she wants to have her horizons expanded a bit, right? She likes the sense of adventure. adventure. And he likes the idea of settling down a little bit and, and having a little more stability. And so maybe they can kind of give that to each other and each have a little bit of both yeah that was really cute and i think one thing also that we see come out of this is that when miss remy is having her in the moment with the camera afterwards she says she wants to see the boys break the rules like that and so there i think is where we also get this tension that we'll later see with captain kim of like okay He has these expectations where he really values the rules and she wants to see them broken specifically with a purpose in order to kind of like show her that they care. So it's kind of different ways of demonstrating care Mm -hmm. where she sees like, okay, if you care about me, you'll bend the rules, right? You'll risk something. And for Captain Kim, his care is following those rules and perhaps sacrificing something like sacrificing pleasure to show that you care and you respect them right and and it's also interesting to contrast mr chapman's rule breaking at the beginning of this episode with mr bakikio's last episode in walking into the dinner party and the way that miss remy appreciated both in in certain ways but it was very clear that one didn't really hurt anybody or at least didn't hurt anybody in that moment I think there was obviously some issues later whereas the dinner interruption was just really ill-judged and ill-timed so the idea of somebody breaking the rules for her she kind of liked but I think the way it played out (laughs) execution yeah yeah so we cut from this sort of cute moment between the two of them to the daily tea Mr. Chapman note is not back yet he is away during the reading of the daily tea where the boys find out that they are going to be doing a poetry reading and the immediate reactions are mixed mr cones (laughs) is very confident he says that his poetry skills are top notch and he loves writing (laughs) yeah we saw that with the letters yes yes and mr mumbre is very worried oh poor charlie i know and then they also learn that there is going to be a bacchanalia quote whatever that is and mr hunter says i think it's like a bachelor party which mr edwards is like close enough dude i mean yes both are in the same spirit and i think mr edwards really kind of exaggerate the role that this sort of party would play which is like a bachelor party only young men of means would have had access to this sort of uh celebration of one's you know bodily pleasures right the women that might be at that party would not be respectable young unmarried women we'll just put it that way yeah we see them sort of excited about the prospect of i mean basically a party right 
and cut mm-hmm. to the guys lounging in front of I think it's the same place where Miss Remy and Mr. Holland had their date mm-hmm. but it's yeah. sort of this beautiful not quite a folly but something in that genre and they're all they're all lounging clearly have been artfully arranged in their faux Roman garb wine in hand <laughs> Yeah, and we get some kind of individual reactions to being dressed in this faux Roman garb. What they describe as Greek gods. Yeah, several of the men are like really into this and they're like, oh my god, I look like a Greek god. We have Mr. Holland in particular is having fun with this and like trying really hard to flex. Like you can see uh-huh. how hard he is charming. trying. He's a little hunched over there. It was funny. I appreciate his humor. And meanwhile, both Captain Kim and... Mr. Mumbray are just cold as shit. Like, Mr. Mumbray's like, I think it's a bit ambitious to be wearing this garb in England. And by garb, I mean, like, just not very much clothing at all. They're all just wearing basically like a a toga, like a fake toga. But like a small small. toga. (laughs) Like, they're all just in kind of like mini skirts. With maybe a little bit covering yeah, basically. the top. Yeah, and I guess this is really where we get to see the fact that, like, even though they, the days look beautiful, like, we've been seeing what looks like gorgeous weather, it's probably pretty mm-hmm. cold. We see some of the men kind of, like, wrapping themselves up in blankets mm-hmm. later, which I relate to. When Miss Remy and Miss Cleary come out, they are both wearing longer toga-like dresses, Miss Remy's is completely sheer, and I just felt so bad that they were all dressed so scantily when it was probably pretty cold. She did look amazing. They all looked amazing, amazing. to be honest. And they have wine, liquid blankets. (laughs) We also find out that Mrs. Baker and Dom, Dominique, will not be joining because... This is a party for singles only. So we do get a cute little shot of them playing, what, like lawn bowling or something? I don't know, some sort of lawn game. And then it cuts back to Miss Remy saying, let's get lit. (laughs) Um, And then we get this montage as Ode to Joy plays, like an electro version of Ode to Joy plays. There's a montage of them all eating grapes and pouring wine into each other's mouths and dancing around. They're all shouting, Bacchanal! Bacchanal! Exactly. This seems to be like, the only two things they know about this are the word Bacchanal and the fact that they're dressed like Greek gods. So, fun times are had by all, but especially by some. Yes. I don't know. It looks it looks like a fun time, and I'm sure if they are as cold as they seem to be, the partying Getting moving is probably good. Yeah. But it cannot be all fun and games, because... There must be poetry. There must be poetry. And you were... Really bad poetry. You were very down on the poetry. I was not as down on the poetry, I think one, because I'm not a poet, so I respect the effort that was put in, and some of it was honestly better than I expected because they took it seriously. So I'm I'm gonna go through, we don't have to discuss them at length, but I am gonna talk about... I'm just, I will preface this by saying that part of why I'm so down on the poetry is that I am not a fan of rhyming. If there's gonna be rhyming, it has to be really good and considered, in my opinion, or it has to be like a slant rhyme. And we got some some rhymes. Yes. <laughs> this time. There was a lot of rhyming. I think, you know, it was a very not exactly traditional take on poetry because there wasn't like form, but they definitely had a strong association of poetry to rhyming. 
I think all of them mm-hmm. rhymed. I don't think any of them did non-rhyming poetry. But Mr. Chapman, I thought Mr. Chapman's was very cute. He says that he writes song lyrics, and it sounded like song lyrics to me. This was completely unsurprising to me. Yeah. He, he lives in a van, and he writes song lyrics. Yes. <laughs> I think the, the line that people responded to was, he sort of talked about, you know, oh, I'll be in your bed, you'll be in my van. I practice driving with my left so you can hold my right hand. And everyone kind of went, aww. Danny B, the part I wrote down that he said was, thoughts of you on one knee. Should I call you Nikki B? (laughs) I hated this. It, like, made me gag. (laughs) What I found interesting is that the issue that came up previously, right, was whether he is willing to make the kind of commitment. So the fact that he wrote a poem that talks about, you know, thoughts of being on one knee, and, like, is he trying to sort of subtly say, like, Well, not that subtly, but is he trying Mm. to say, oh, I am really thinking about marriage seriously? Maybe. Mr. Holland had this sort of... It was a bit more like spoken word, interestingly, like the kind of cadence that he Yeah, the the rhyme was in the middle of each line rather than at the end, because each line ended with Mm. like flowers. And so... Mm -hmm. I think the final end was like, with you, I want to grow like flowers. And yeah, I thought I thought this was sweet. Again, I I expected so much worse from these guys. <laughs> Captain Kim, his was probably my least favorite because it didn't. Yeah, it did not seem like poetry he at all. He just said, well, the bit we got, which in, in fairness, we're cutting, you know, between them. But his line was, yeah, remind yourself every day that you're a strong, powerful female. I hate it when men refer to women as females. It's so cringe. <laughs> so that wasn't great. But the remind yourself that you're a strong female it felt very much like kind of motivational speaker yes. type thing. And so I always feel a little weird about that because motivational speakers obviously hold a certain relationship to their public of both trying to build someone up but also kind of preying on their insecurities and I don't think he was like trying to prey on someone's insecurities but it did kind of in that association maybe feel a little icky. yeah Mr. Judge the line we get from him is your lips made me feel something I hadn't before so a reference to the kiss I, I guess Mr. Cones talks about the ocean and his feelings as an intense typhoon Mr. Hunter says that he feels this is only the beginning of our true romance. And then it's Mr. Mumbray's turn. And he is freaking out. I I appreciated him because it felt like he started off almost trying to do a limerick. Yes. The meter isn't quite right, but I do kind of appreciate that he at least made a little bit of a reference to a form that was silly. Yes. So he, he kind of makes this comment after hearing all the other guys. He's like, oh my god, I feel like I'm living in a bloody love novel. <laughs> and yeah, then he does this sort of limerick. It's it's cute. I mean, it's a cute thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it does have the disadvantage of reinforcing some of Nicole's concerns about his immaturity which we'll get to. But it's cute. You know, he basically does this thing about how he's like a boy with great wit, but he doesn't want to sound like an utter tit. There once was a boy with great wit, something about a girl he thought was quite fit. Yeah. And they're all pretty, like, congratulatory about each other's poetry. They're all pretty sweet about it. Mm -hmm. And then we get another sort of montage with everyone going, Bacchanal! Bacchanal! (laughs) 
so much shouting of just the word Bacchanal in this episode. I'm glad that they were enjoying themselves. They also shout, we're Greek gods at one point, or someone does. Oh my god, I, I somehow missed yes. that. Amazing. We do then kind of have cuts to a few different conversations, one of which is Mr. Bokikio talking to Mr. Chapman, kind of trying to suss out what Chapman was doing earlier. And I thought this was interesting because Mr. Bokikio obviously does not actually want to know, and yet he is still letting his curiosity get the better of him. And he actually tells Chat in this kind of disgruntled manner, like, well, if that's the way you have to play it, I'm gonna play it the same way, kind of. Game on. Yeah, this was a weird moment. It felt like it really just sparked Mr. Pokikyo's competitive side. It was also very odd, I think, because Mr. Chapman, and we'll see this again later, was doing this weird balance of trying to kind of be honest with the guys because they're his bros or whatever and also not be too weird about it and like not that much had happened but he was really weird about it in this particular moment I think he said something about like yeah like I went up to her room she was in bed it was every guy's fantasy and he's kind of laughing but he just looks really uncomfortable as he's saying all this Mr. Bikikio looks really uncomfortable and unhappy it's like this weird almost a like ribbing each other like oh yeah every guy's fantasy except neither of them looks like they're enjoying the conversation. I think also Mr. Chapman throughout this time struck me as like, he seemed like he was pretty tipsy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that kind of plays into it a little bit that he's like maybe laughing a little bit over things and then being like, wait, should I be laughing about this? He's like trying to kind of regulate himself maybe because he like recognizes that he's a little tipsy and therefore prone to maybe disclosing more than he would have. Yeah, otherwise. I do think everyone is probably more fucked up in this scene and in this episode than they are in any other one because <laughs> they are really just pouring wine down their throats. <laughs> We also see her talk to Mr. Holland, and he had earlier expressed that he's really, really into her. And at this point, we see them talk and him tell her that he can see a future with her, and she can see him really as a front runner. And I think that's something that she like tells the camera but doesn't disclose to him. I like this. I really like the two of them and their dynamic. Molly and I, we've talked about how we like that he's a teacher. It's not one of the kind of traditional professions that you get of like, like Mr. Chapman's a model. So I like that obviously he's really attractive and he seems very thoughtful. He's clearly smart and I think they would have good conversations and they seem comfortable together. I hope that we get to see more of him. Me too. I feel like he's somebody who we don't see a lot of most of the time, but whenever we do see him, I like him. And whenever I see them interacting, I really like them together. We also see sort of some of the suitors who are still kind of hanging around on the big blanket talking to Miss Cleary and trying to get information from her about Miss Remy, and I don't know if she was just trolling them or what. This is so funny. So first they ask, like, what's her favorite food? And she says, soup. She loves a good soup. And they're all kind of like, okay, a little weird, but all right. And then Mr. Cones asks, okay, you know, if she's had a really bad day, she comes home, like, what's the go-to move? Like, what do I do? And Miss Cleary says, soup. 
She loves a good soup. <laughs> this is so weird. I don't know if, like, maybe it was that they had just been talking about her favorite food, and so she thought he was asking, like, oh, what what does she want to be made mm-hmm. for dinner or something if she's had a bad day? But it was this really weird moment of, like, all we know about Miss Remy is that she likes a good soup. I mean, soup is comforting. Yeah. That's nice. It's very, if it's cold outside, maybe soup is on all of their maybe. minds. I mean, I um, also love I soup, know. so, you know. Meanwhile, news of where Mr. Chapman was this morning has begun to circulate. Presumably, Danny B has been talking, but who knows? Yeah. Captain Kim, in particular, is very shocked and pretty upset about this. We have the, you know, Captain Kim, we've talked about, you know, his propensity for following rules, some of which may be unwritten or unspoken rules. But after this, I think we start to see really him feeling like, okay, maybe he and Miss Remy want different things. Um, And so he goes to talk to her and he says he wants to talk to her about what life together would look like. And I think this is a way of saying like, okay, do we have the same values and do we want the same things? But instead it ends up being a conversation about not as much values as, you know, do you want to settle down and have a family kind of thing? And he also says, and we get this, like, references to this, we've had this in past episodes, we get this several times. This episode, he tells her that she has let him trust in women again, which this, this is one of those things that, like, Molly and I have, like, we talked about this during a previous episode where we talked about, like, okay, well, what makes a romance novel hero? And one of those things is kind of the reticence to find love or a little bit of maybe distrust of love, fear of falling in love. But with Captain Kim, it seems like all of that is kind of condensed in this distrust of women or at least his stated distrust of women in a way that I do not like. It raises some red flags. Yeah, certainly. I do kind of wonder the extent to which some of this is him maybe over-psychoanalyzing himself and being like, oh, I had this one bad experience, and then maybe kind of like it's spiraling outwards to like, well, I just don't trust women. and But that itself is not recognizing the individual humanity of each right. woman, and then it's investing too much in one partner as the the one whose job it is to fix all of that and heal that past trauma yeah I mean that was the thing for me was you definitely see this in romance but I don't think it's actually a healthy thing in real life of yeah oh you've made me believe in like women again and I'm like I don't think it's the job of an individual woman to teach you that women are different <laughs> like that that not all women yeah, are exactly the same and i don't yeah. know it was it's interesting because i think he has tried to and he says he has been like working on himself for a year but i think this is part of where the language the like kind of more recent popularization of like therapy speak yes becomes a bit of a problem because he says at various points like he's being triggered and it's just this use of language in a way that feels misapplied and perhaps not quite understanding actually where some of those terms come from. Mm-hmm. I do believe that he has like tried to work on himself and 
tried to heal. And I think that we do see some of the positives of that when he is able later to recognize that it's not a healthy situation for him and remove himself. But in some places, it seems like maybe he's misattributing some of his discomfort and pain in a way that feels a little a little icky yeah and again i don't know the guy things could be much more complex it's just a little sometimes it just feels like it falls a little bit into the language of grievance that meninists have and it just kind of raises my hackles a little i think that's fair after Captain Kim and Miss Remy sort of have this moment, he also gives her a bracelet, which I think is just the bracelet from his outfit. Yeah, unclear whether this is like a bracelet that he brought with him or what's going on, but he, he says to give it back to him at the farewell ball if he ever doesn't live by his values. And then she asks him for a kiss and he kisses her on the forehead. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Okay. Again, I think this is just really a moment of like mismatched yeah, exactly. desires and yeah. expectations because he says, you know, the first kiss is really important to me. I want it to be at the right moment, in the right context, whatever. And so the forehead kiss, I think on Twitter he described it as a K drama kiss. Yes, I saw that too. And I'm like, that's sweet, but this is a woman who's talked about needing to feel wanted and desired. And when she asks you to kiss her and you kiss her on the forehead, mm-hmm. I just feel like that has to feel a bit like a rejection. Yes, exactly. And I I feel like at least we don't see him communicate to her that he wants to save that kiss. So if, mm-hmm. yeah, so it feels like I can see how she might feel like maybe he's not actually that into her. Because clearly not only have we seen her his people on the lips in the past but in this moment she kind of like whispers it to him like it's clear that she wants him to actually kiss her and I think really see if they have chemistry perhaps and instead we get that kiss on the forehead and it clearly is not quite what she was looking for. After that it's a lot of just other scenes of things happening at the Bacchanal. We get a brief arm wrestling match between Danny B and Mr. Judge. And Mr. Chapman. Uh, Mr. Judge wins. Mr. Chapman just backhanded compliment destroys Danny B. <laughs> um, because he says something about how, for their size difference, Danny B did a pretty good job. And if we didn't get the next comment, which is Mr. Chapman in his in the moment saying, like, Danny B needs to kind of be cut down. A little bit uh-huh it maybe would have seemed less intentional but oh boy like that was oof <laughs> that that was a that was rough i don't know like i'm not a fan of danny b but justice for the short kings <laughs> fair enough i don't think i actually like took that comment that way but maybe it's just because i was so distracted by how actually gigantic danny b's muscles were he was actually very buff. It was very surprising. For the most part, they're they're all pretty cut, you know? Yeah. And then we just get more Bacchanal! Bacchanal! Uh, Bacchanal! Including Mr. Cones commenting, I'm going to name my first son Bacchanal. <laughs> and, I mean, we have seen 
on Instagram or was it Twitter that Mr. Chapman Twitter. Twitter yeah Mr. Chapman has since filming gotten a tattoo that just says Bacchanal on his leg so clearly this day had great impact on them all we've gotten tattoos firstborn sons <laughs> Bacchus would be would be quite proud after this we do see Miss Remy Mr. Chapman for some alone time in the woods and by alone time I mean they make out in the woods yeah I mean basically she says you've been on my mind all day since I saw you this morning and it's been a perfect day and they basically are talking about just like how easy it is to be each other and they have this passionate connection they do say it's so much more than physical but so far we may maybe get to see the physical side yeah and she invites him back to the castle. Yeah, and he with says, her. "Let's go hang out in a freaking castle." I will say I love again every step of the way in terms of this decision. She she is making the decision, yes. right? He wasn't like, "Hey, maybe we can go." You know, she's like, "I would like to invite you mm-hmm. to come back to the castle with me." So it was clearly something she chose and wanted and she says very clearly later that she is an adult and she has the right to make that decision so go nicole yeah we do see them go back to the castle and at the same time that they are going back we do see the other men all hanging out still in their greek roman regalia playing pool still shouting bacchanal still shouting bacchanal and wondering hmm where has uh lincoln disappeared to yet again so foreshadowing that everyone has indeed noticed that he is gone. And we also see Mr. Bikikio, Mr. Cones, and Mr. Hunter have a brief conversation about how they were sad not to get any alone time with her. And again, Mr. Cones and Mr. Hunter are two people we've really seen kind of not get a lot of alone time with her since Mr. Cones really at all and Mr. Hunter since their date in the second episode. And so it's also interesting to see Mr. Bikikio is starting to feel like He's also maybe losing his place as a front runner. But we cut back to Miss Remy and Mr. Chapman, and they're laying in bed and just kind of talking. See them kiss a few times, but he says basically that he saw her at the farewell ball, and when Jesse, Judge, kissed her, he saw her glowing, and he he says he selfishly wanted to be the one that made her glow like that yeah and i understand this i also think that this is like a good approach to this process right which is recognizing the fact that she's got these other connections with other guys and maybe that doesn't feel great he wants to be the one in that position but also being happy for her for feeling happy and Mm -hmm. she says you know that that's actually something that she's looking for in a partner Which is someone who takes joy at her joy. But also is willing to make the move to try and be the one to give her joy. Yes, exactly. And we do see her actually ask for this later from Mr. Bokikio. And I think we'll talk about kind of our reactions to his reaction. Mm -hmm. But I appreciated that Mr. Chapman seems to have a realistic approach to his own feelings and to this process and really just like appreciating getting time with her but also doing what he can to make sure he does get time with her and show her that he cares about her and her feelings (laughs) 
and not just mm-hmm. about himself. And I think letting her lead a little bit. Yes. Which I think some of these guys are not so good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that is it's a hard balance between getting yourself out there and also letting her lead because this is her show and her process. Yep. And she does tell him she chose him for a reason to come back to the castle. Like she's there with him and not with Mr. Judge. And I think that's also a good reminder, right? To not get too caught up with her relationships with other people. And then this is when we sort of get her, it's probably not an in the moment. It's probably more like an after the moment, Yeah. but a, interview this is basically where she's saying this would be frowned upon Mm -hmm. in the regency era and i think implicitly just in general but it's me being me is what she says and if it feels right then i'm going to do it and i'm going to be confident in that decision and i'm an adult and i can be who i want to be and again i already gave props to this little moment but i really loved it i just thought it was excellent yeah really great then it's lights out you know we sort of zoom out we see through the window the lights going down in that room and cut to the next morning and we've got all the suitors except mr chapman are lounging about on the lawn they're talking about the bacchanal they're they're sort of saying like that was fun hey where's lincoln has anybody seen lincoln and of course at that moment in walks Mr. Chapman himself With the going stick. Bacchanal boys, Bacchanal. Yeah, he's just like saluting them left and right. Bacchanal boys, Bacchanal. Like top of the morning to you, but instead like Bacchanal. Uh-huh. Yeah, he has a walking stick with him too, which was kind of funny. I don't know why that like really struck me. It's kind of jaunty and hilarious. And I'm not gonna lie, he looked. I think uh, uh, maybe Mr. Hunter says like you got a spring in your oh, step. Oh yeah. <laughs> He did. He had a spring in his step. It was clear that he was a happy camper. Yeah, they were not subtle about this, which, like, later Miss Remy wonders, like, oh, how did everyone find out? And it's like, uh, because you straight up pulled him into the woods and then he disappeared for the entire night, only to return with the spring in his step, saluting everyone and saying, bacchanal, boys, bacchanal. Yeah, what what else are they supposed to think? Yeah, I don't exactly know what she thought was going to happen. Yeah, they all live in these quarters together. They probably, like, sleep in bunk beds they know when one of them is missing people start asking him where were you what happened and he says i got some alone time with nicole you know we got to know each other and talk more and we we got to really see where this is going yeah he says like we got to talk in long form and mr cones is like i feel like you're talking in code and captain kim just straight up asks yeah he's like if something happened i want to know and he also says in his in the moment that he chooses to believe (laughs) until he hears otherwise that mr chapman was given a spare room and he just didn't come back because it was late at night yeah mr edwards is like oh you poor naive man and it's like no he's not actually that naive he's just trying to convince himself but not doing a very good job of it because I think it's pretty yes. pretty obvious what happened. So even though Chapman is not technically revealing his hand, it is still in a way that kind of what Mr. Cones is saying about speaking in code is basically that like they are having to read between the lines and what is between the lines is like pretty obvious. So we get Mr. Mumbre and Mr. Bakikio sort of saying like, I want to know, but I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Like like a catch-22. We also cut to, we see Nicole and Miss Cleary talking, and it's 
so cute. It's, it's just, just so again, funny. they're doing this, like, girl talk mm-hmm. thing. And Miss Remy's like, oh, yeah, you know, we just, we went into the castle and um, talked. <laughs> and Miss Cleary's like, oh, that's, that's nice. nice. And then Nicole's face, like, cracks. And she just, and like, they both just start and giggling. giggling. Yeah, and Miss Cleary's like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh-huh. And she tells Miss Cleary, like, I'm so into him. At the beginning, it was like Danny B, Danny B, Danny B, but I'm kind of like not obsessed with him anymore. Mr. Chapman, he rocked my world. Good for you, Actual girl. Words, she says. <laughs> yeah. And then she says, I hope none of the guys find out. Which, like, I mean, I understand that desire, but also, like we said, they were not subtle about it. So I don't know how they would have kept people from finding out um, other than like if he hadn't spent the night, maybe. Or if he'd straight up lied. You know what I mean? Yes. Maybe she had wanted him to do that to some degree, but they kind of had to get their story straight if that was the case. Yeah, exactly. I think there are some things they could have maybe done, but there still would have been questions, right? And I mean, I can understand her not wanting the other men to know, but also I think they were going to at least Mm -hmm. wonder. Well, I think the other thing about this is probably because partially, like, it felt like a normal, you know, again, Mm -hmm. a very normal thing. Like, you're tipsy, you're on a date with this great guy. He's super hot. You're really into him. You take him home. You have sex. You generally don't think that then everyone you know and live with is going to find out about that and be the object of gossip. And more than just everyone that you know and live with, it's everyone else that maybe you have gone on a date with in the past two weeks, right? Because in this case, it's kind of like, yes, they're all living together and that makes it harder, whereas... Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is like, I went to school on a very small college campus and it kind of reminded me of that a little bit of like when people were casually dating and you found out that someone who you had maybe hooked up with at a party had then hooked up with another party with some, with one of your friends or something like that. And it's like, okay, technically you don't have a claim to them. You're just like still dating, but it still feels a little, you're like, oh, God damn it. You know? (laughs) So in the real world though, like outside of a college campus of 1500 people or outside of this regency castle with like now eight men living together, you wouldn't expect that if you go on a date with one person and you end up kissing or or hooking up that the person that you went on a date with last week is gonna find that out so we find out about the date that she's going to have this time she gets to choose for herself who she's going on a date with and the men get the letter that they always get and it says that she's choosing mr judge and again we get sort of a a juxtaposition of men privately being kind of unhappy about this mr cones is like oh you gotta be kidding me and then to mr judge's face being like good for you man like (laughs) you know have fun like that's great that's huge he's very excited mr judge and he gets up to walk away and he trips which everyone laughs at but i also did like as he was going away mr cones is like oh i hope he tells nicole i say hey (laughs) Yeah, and Mr. Hunter's lines, like, making out with, like, his hand, yeah. and then, like, pulling back and being like, yeah, by the way, Christian says hi. <laughs> so there are, like, two things happening at once for the next bit, but maybe we can talk about the date and then talk about the mm-hmm. yeah, conversations. So the date. It's an art date. They're doing a portrait session. She's going to sketch him. And she says that she loves art. She went to school for architecture, but maybe this is not her best showing. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, it's not it's not great. I mean, it's very funny because she she's like, oh god, don't look at this. We never like, have to can speak we of forget this again. that this happened. She finishes the sketch, they laugh over it, and then they go have a picnic. And then he sort of talks about growing up, which he's alluded to multiple times at this point about having a difficult upbringing, having not the picture perfect family. And here's where we get the full story of that. He says, you know, he had two older siblings and two younger siblings, all from different fathers, and his mother was a single mother. And that was really difficult because, you know, being a single mother, raising five children must be really, really hard. But basically, her coping mechanism was turning to substances. And at some point, he had to basically make a decision to kind of extricate himself from that situation at a very young age. He says at like 13 or 14. Right. He like um, left home at that age, which is, yes, I mean, yeah. intense. <laughs> yep. And requires. A lot of strength and for a teenager that must be so scary he tells her that in the years since he's kind of lost touch really with his siblings they don't have a very close relationship but that he has really worked on making sure that he is dealing with his own mental health and kind of recovering from the difficulty of his upbringing and that he, you know, is in a place that he feels pretty good about. And that's really kind of like why he decided to come on the show. She gives him a hug and, you know, she's so good at moments like these. Yeah. And she's like, you know, it must have been so hard, but wow, very strong. And then mm -hmm. things take a little bit of a lighter turn when he tells her that as you know, I'm a wrestling coach, so I thought maybe we could have a little wrestling match. And what follows is a scene straight out of a rom-com. Like, it was yeah, seriously. adorable. <laughs> I could not handle it. Mm -hmm. He, like, gets ready to show her how to wrestle, and then she just straight up tackles him. Yes. Yeah. And, and he's like, oh, that's not fair. Like, you cheated. And she's like, no, no, I pinned you. And he's like, well, you didn't count down. And he sort of rolls her so that she's under him, and then she rolls mm -hmm. again and is on top of him. Skirts and petticoats flying everywhere. And she starts counting, <laughs> and then, you know, as she gets to the, like, 8, 9, 10 or whatever, she starts kissing mm -hmm. him between each count. Yeah. It was very, was very sweet. Cute. But back at the men's quarters, first we see the men kind of speculating, like, oh, well, what is it that they're doing? And this was funny because they're like, oh, yeah, they're doing a portrait session. And who was it? Mr. Cones, uh, I believe, is the one who says, I wonder if they get naked to do that. Yeah. And Mr. Bokikio's like, what? No. But then Mr. Cones and Mr. Chapman are like, well, actually, during the Romantic period, they they did this quite a lot. There were, like, naked portraiture. They did t all they that did Titanic stuff. Titanic stuff. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Cohn says, like, there's some Titanic stuff in this era. And Mr. Chapman reveals that he gets through elimination balls by looking up at the boobs on the ceiling. Yeah, so there are naked paintings in the Great Hall. And mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, I just, I look up at the, at the boobs. And everyone's just like, you, you look up at the boobs when, when you're nervous? And he's like, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, he's like very serious about this, um, which I thought was kind uh, of charming. But then, of course, we get to this sort of more serious conversation. 
as Captain Kim and Mr. Cones. And is somebody else there? Mr. Mumbray. And Mr. Mumbray. Yeah. Are discussing, you know, what happened with Mr. Chapman last night. Essentially, Captain Kim is freaking out. And Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Cones is kind of acting like the therapist here. Captain Kim is basically saying that, you know, he would want to know if she had an intimate moment with any of the other men. And Mr. Cone says, okay, well, like, let's play this out. Like, imagine if she did end up having sex with us or with any of the other guys. How would you feel? How would you deal with that? And Captain Kim basically brings up his trust issues, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. again, and says that, you know, it would make him kind of question how well he knew her, which I don't, I don't really like that framing of it, but I do understand feeling like you have, that would be a moment of realization of like, okay, maybe we have these kind of different value systems, which I think is fair, right? Yes. I think initially he just sort of says, it would really bother me. And Mr. Cones is like, mm-hmm. that's okay. It can bother you. Like, you're being true to yourself if, if that bothers yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Like, but... it's okay to acknowledge that you have those feelings, right? And to acknowledge feeling upset about that. But then it's a question of fault, right? Mm-hmm. And Captain Kim does say, it's not her fault. It's fine. Like, she's not doing anything wrong. This is her journey, Yeah. And then he says, but it also is my journey. And I think when he says that, you can take it a couple ways, right? You could take it as him kind of imposing his value system onto her, which I don't think is what it is. I think what it is is him recognizing, like, she needs to do what she needs to do in order to figure out her feelings and find love, but he also has to do his own thing in order to figure that out and that might mean that he has to leave because his own feelings are taking him elsewhere right so we're sort of left with this sense of he's deciding if he wants to stay or if he wants to go and again he doesn't necessarily have the full picture of what happened yesterday but i think he at this point has recognized that Probably uh, Mr. Chapman didn't stay in a spare bedroom. The other thing is that that constant wondering about her interactions with other men is kind of bringing back these feelings of insecurity Mm -hmm. that he has dealt with in the past and that he has worked to move beyond Mm-hmm. And maybe just realizing if he's somebody who has this degree of insecurity and difficulty with women he cares about being intimate with other men or kissing other men or anything, maybe this just isn't the the format for him to find love. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we get to the farewell dance. And this is interesting because it's a little early in the episode. Yes, We get to the farewell dance, we get, you know, the usual bit of before the dance card is announced stuff of Nicole getting ready and Mm -hmm. some shots of her looking worried in her dress. Her dress is so beautiful. I know that, like, she keeps having these gorgeous dresses each week, but this one, it's a light green and it's such a good color for her and it has these kind of, like, gauzy sleeves. I just really wanted to appreciate her dress, like, oh my gosh, it was so beautiful. (laughs) 
we see Mr. Chapman looking up at the ceiling and an image of the nude art. Um, the boobs. With the boobs blurred out. Yes. In any case, various people feel confident, various people feel worried, you know, the usual thing. But before Mr. Edwards reads off the dance card, Captain Kim speaks up and he says that he wants to be in the farewell ball regardless of whether he is on the dance card. Mm-hmm. And the guys have some reactions to this. Danny B, okay, I will say his face was extremely funny to me. He just made this expression that was just like, what? This is so fucking stupid. Like, that was like literally mm-hmm. his face just was in his in the moment. We see him going, shut up. This is the shit I can't take. I don't understand that. I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. He just has so much derision for other men. And I think particularly we've seen for Captain Kim. Yes. And- Whatever. And then Mr. Chapman basically is like, ugh, a ball always means drama. Something crazy is always mm-hmm. going to happen. But as the names are read off, we get Mr. Mumbre, Mr. Bikikio, and Captain Kim. Captain so Kim. it seems like he was already on the dance card, probably My because of that is... weird forehead kiss. Yes! <laughs> the forehead kiss. He doomed himself. Obviously, I don't think it was ever going to work out just because their value systems are different, but like... Yeah, he puts himself on the dance card, but he was already going to be on the dance card. So we see really the first two dances with Mr. Mumbre, essentially. She she tells him, you know, she's worried about his inexperience, the fact that, as he says, he's never had a serious relationship before, he's never been in love before. She says that she wants to know that he can get there, and he admits that it's kind of terrifying. But a good terrifying. Yeah, but a good terrifying. And... Everyone seems to respond positively to this. We see Tessa and Miss Baker saying, oh, you know, like, it takes courage to admit that he's scared. And she says that she wants to see him experience love for the first time, which was kind of a weird comment to me. Um, (laughs) Obviously, like, I want to see him experience love for the first time, too. But the implication there is, like, just from the situation that she wants him to fall in love with her but also then it's pretty clear that like she's not gonna fall in love with him so like Mm -hmm. what then she like wants to see him experience love and then a heartbreak i don't know i don't think that's what she meant but it was strange um and like yes it felt very like big sister kind of energy next up is mr bikikio this was a very interesting interaction she begins by saying oh we started strong but this week i feel like you really didn't make an effort And he's like, oh, okay, I will. And Mm -hmm. she says, I want to know that you're going to fight for me. And he says, fair enough. I know. It feels like he was really phoning this conversation in, too, Mm -hmm. in a way that then she, like, stops him and she's like, no, you need to know, like, how serious I am about this. Like, I need to see you actually trying. Yeah. I mean, she stopped the dance. I feel like the only other time I remember her doing that was with... Yeah, Mr. Safa, where she stops and she says, sorry, no, we need to actually just, like, Mm -hmm. talk. And she just says, like, I actually need to see you trying. And he sort of says, like, okay, yeah, 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 I will. But then as he He leans leans in in to hug her, he whispers, I promise. And then he whispers, meet me halfway. And that really bothered me because she Mm -hmm. is trying It feels like he's really attempting to retain control of the situation here Mm -hmm. because he's not used to feeling like someone else has more power than him. 
and his mm-hmm. reaction to this like he is trying desperately to keep her in that situation where she feels like she has been feeling or been made to feel insecure by him multiple times and it seems like maybe she's realizing that and she is trying to see if he can make her feel good instead of feeling insecure the shine is really coming off the apple for her and i think for mrs baker and miss cleary as well Mm -hmm. we cut to their reactions and they're looking also a little unimpressed yeah and dom of course dom is like yeah dom says like it seems like he just tried to bulldog through that conversation and it seems like he didn't actually care that much or was not actually taking it that seriously until she basically stopped and made him take it seriously and even then he was really putting himself first so then we get to captain kim and oh my god i have so many mixed feelings about the everything that follows from this point yeah he he stops the dance here so he's the one who's like okay but we just need to talk and the entire conversation that follows is in kind of hushed tones so the men up on the balcony cannot hear and we do see them trying to lean in but i think what's important to note is that they can't hear and mr chapman cannot hear what is happening here and that becomes part of the drama in just a few minutes captain kim basically tells her i heard about last night oh i have to do this anymore i have this written down word for word (laughs) okay go for it i'll let you take the lead so captain kim says I heard about last night, and I can't do this anymore. It was the one thing I knew would destroy me. I have feelings for you. I want what's best for you. I want the best for you. I feel like I could have done a lot more for you, but I just can't. It's time to go. And she starts saying, I'm sorry. And then he says, no, don't be sorry. You've done nothing wrong. I told you to enjoy the journey and enjoy finding love. And then there's something something a little weird here, and we here like the world i want to show you please find someone to do the same so there seems to be like some sort of cut or funky editing or you know something Mm -hmm. but basically you get the the gist right we get a reaction from mrs baker at one point going something's not right Mm -hmm. but again nobody can actually hear this conversation it seems and then we watch nicole basically is like oh okay Okay. she accepts and she returns his bracelet they hug, he leaves, you know, it seems mm-hmm. like a pretty, like, fine, you know, parting, mutual, yeah. Um, and then once he's out the door, she kind of crumples a little bit yeah. and is just like, I need a moment. Mm-hmm. And she goes and, like, walks behind some potted plants, and we hear her asking, how the fuck did he find out? And mm-hmm. then we see an in the moment where she is reacting and basically she's shocked she says she doesn't trust anyone right now and she is reconsidering all her relationships and the way i interpreted this was that she didn't understand how captain kim had found out which so she she hadn't anticipated the fact that that it would be like fairly obvious to the men that chapman had Mm -hmm. not been there and that when he returned that he wouldn't just straight up lie mm-hmm. and would be a little weird about it so it sounds to me like she thinks that mr chapman is going around bragging and is questioning mr chapman perhaps yeah i don't know we'll see if there are repercussions of that yeah and if they have a conversation miss remy and mr chapman we also see mrs baker speaking to miss cleary saying 
I think he said something, something just doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. as they sort of watch Nicole having this difficult moment. And Mr. Chapman up in the balcony is sort of muttering, fuck speculation, something that was supposed to be a private moment, just trying to get to know her. Mm -hmm. But he also is speculating on what was said, right? Yes, absolutely. We have speculation on both sides. How did you feel about how Captain Kim handled his exit? At least this part of the exit in um, his conversation. Yeah, with what he said to. I thought what he said was fine. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I understand why it upset her on multiple levels. Because again, you don't want the guys that you're thinking about dating knowing every aspect of your sex life necessarily. I get why she was upset. I think he handled it very carefully. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there were underlying assumptions on his part that come out later that then made me like less generous toward him but in that moment like i mean he probably could have said a little less if he wanted to Mm -hmm. but i don't really blame him especially when he says like don't be sorry you didn't do anything wrong like i want you to enjoy this process Mm -hmm. i just can't really be here yeah and i appreciated that part of it particularly i think i think he could have perhaps said less about the like oh i found out about last night kind of thing Um, And it was the one thing that I couldn't handle. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe instead framing it in terms of, like, I'm realizing that I can't handle my feelings of jealousy or my uncertainty wondering what's going on with other relationships, and so I need to kind of remove myself from the situation. But I think generally, like, that part he did handle pretty well. I think it's when... And really not until the very end of his confrontation with Chapman, which we'll come to in just a second, that mm-hmm. I started kind of questioning some of some of his handling of it. We also get a in the moment with Mr. Chapman, who is pissed. Mm-hmm. And I understand he's making assumptions as well, but like I understand him getting upset if like you feel somewhat responsible that this woman is having this like you know, I don't think they've seen her, like, have that kind of moment before. I think we've only seen her break character, as it were, a couple of times. So I think he does jump to some conclusions, but I understand why he did in, in a certain way. This is why I'm so conflicted about this whole thing, because I just think, really, I don't think anyone was acting out of malice. I just think everyone was, everyone was feeling, like, hurt and prickly and taking it out on each other. Yeah, I think the problem that I had then with how he handled it was that he was making assumptions, but he didn't allow space for those assumptions to be corrected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that led to frustration on both ends and this kind of blow up. So he basically says that he needs to go find Captain Kim before he leaves and ask him what it was that he said to Miss Remy because he's assuming that he said something to upset Miss Remy on purpose. He he seems to assume that Captain Kim was shaming Nicole for having spent time alone with Mr. Chapman, which is not the case. But when he finds Captain Kim... He basically just isn't willing to hear what Kim is saying. Yeah, he says, you know, what did you say to Nicole? And Captain Kim's like, are you serious? Like, I just said, like, I found out about last night and I can't be here anymore. And Mr. Chapman's like, last night? Like, what about last night? What did you find out? And he's like, I just said, like, the whole, like, yesterday. Like, all of yesterday. 
Which, I mean, in fairness, he did not say. <laughs> he did not say, well, oh, it's just all of yesterday was so hard. He said last mm-hmm. night. But Mr. Chapman, like, really assumes, basically, by even referencing last night, that mm-hmm. that he's implicitly shaming or explicitly shaming Miss Remy and that he's blaming or dragging Mr. Chapman himself into it. So I think the thing about saying all of yesterday is because Mr. Chapman said, well, what, you know, what about last night? What happened last night? And Captain Kim, I think, tries to explain saying like, okay, well, even if Chapman didn't tell him what happened last night, he says it was a whole thing all of yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I think he's trying to say, you know, the assumptions that he made were based on the fact that everyone knew about this yeah and so captain kim when chapman is confronting him about this says like i made it about me i didn't bring you into this and he says something like i made it about me i said i found out about last night and i need to leave because i can't handle that Mm -hmm. but chapman's not really listening (laughs) right i mean he's like you made a girl feel like shit for for something that she doesn't need to feel like right exactly and again it's like i am sympathetic to the desire to be like don't shame this woman for just doing something mm-hmm. totally normal because like yeah that is a thing that people do and like I, but mm-hmm. yeah he, yeah but he they're really not just, listening to each other they're just yes <laughs> or at least chapman's not listening to i think potentially captain kim has underestimated the degree to which this has upset her which is fair yeah. like i don't know why he would assume that this would hit her the way it does Yeah, and he left before he saw her reaction. Yeah. The last he saw, you know, they hugged. It seemed like an amicable parting. But then the problem comes when the fact that both of them are getting frustrated. And it seems like Captain Kim just wants to leave. So he finally just basically loses his composure. He's been pretty composed until this Mm -hmm. point. And then he just basically gets defensive or like i mean he has been defensive and instead of being defensive he decides to be to like go on the offense um and so he starts after chapman says you made her feel like shit kind of implying that captain kim had intended to do that Mm -hmm. captain kim says you didn't have to spend the night you're hiding this from her family this is the part that both of us have a problem with which is that it's kind of robbing Nicole of her agency there. Yes. And implying, honestly, that there is something to be ashamed of. You know what I mean? Or that he should not have spent the night. And and also the, like, you're hiding this from her family bit is weird. It very like, much was the, that. like... Well, and also, like, why does she need to tell her family? Like, we aren't actually in the Regency. Yes. As we have discussed. And then I think the part that really graded, right, is... When he says, you know, oh, you're trying to blame me, you're trying to blame me, but, like, guess who put her in that position to cry? Like, that was you. And then in his, kind of in the moment, as he's getting into the carriage to go, he says, if you really cared about her, why would you go into her room and create that situation? So, yeah, that part rubbed me the wrong way. The part that I was, like, a little more sympathetic towards was him saying, like, if you really cared about her, like, why didn't you just return on time? Because, like, that, I think, actually is kind of fair. He could have, they could have found a way to not make it so that all the other men were, like, where it was Lincoln all night. Yes. I think he could have thought more about it. But at the same time, like, obviously, it takes two. And right. it was Miss Remy's choice. Like, it was Nicole's choice to, to invite him. And also, 
for him to spend the whole night right mm-hmm. i think that's the thing it's like we don't know what happened we don't know if he was like oh i should probably go and she was like no i want you to stay mm-hmm. or we don't know if like we just don't know and i do mm-hmm. think it like really there's this weird underlying assumption here that somehow mr chapman took advantage yeah and i mean i think what it is is there's like an assumption that men are the ones who are yes. in charge of sex yes that women are not sexual beings and that men are the ones who like want sex and who like pressure women into having sex and that like somehow women cannot be the agents in sexual encounters Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm critical of both men i'm also very sympathetic Mm -hmm. to both men and i think the main thing i just want to come out of this is exactly what captain kim said and also exactly what mr chapman said which is like she didn't do anything wrong and she doesn't have Mm -hmm. anything to feel like shit for like she is fine what she Mm -hmm. did was fine yeah i do think like in light of captain kim kind of then blaming lincoln the idea of him saying like you did nothing wrong miss remy mr chapman did did do something wrong wrong. yeah it really reinforces that feeling that women don't have sexual agency she made this choice obviously it had these unintended consequences and they're they're like all going to have to live with that and i think it's perfectly valid for captain kim to say like i can't handle this i need to leave I mean, I feel like I would feel that way. Like, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know too. that I could handle that situation. Mm-hmm. God, I, I just wish people listened to each other. I know it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, and it's hard yeah. when emotions are really high. And I think, yeah, you know, I think they both genuinely care about her, and so I think they yes. both were genuinely just trying to like protect her or like you know be good to her, and then were offended yeah. when the other person was saying, "No, you're the one who hurt her." Yeah, and I mean, I think it's also, ah. like, they just had very different ways of trying to show that they care about her. And so the difficulty is in recognizing that those are both valid ways of showing that they care, right? And Captain Kim has left, so he's not going to be involved in more drama, but I think we are going to then have to... There's definitely going to be, or at least I would imagine there's fallout. There's going to be fallout from this farewell dance. But interestingly, we don't get, like, a sneak peek of that. We no. just get the sneak peek of other drama, which is that we have yet another suitor arrive during a masquerade ball. Um, and apparently who apparently is very attractive. Cause yes. Miss Remy says, like, every woman's dream just walked through the door. And I'm like, what, did you get Roger uh, Jean Page to come <sighs> in? <laughs> like, I don't know. All right. Well, um, on that note. Bacchanal! Bacchanal, boys! Bacchanal! <laughs> let's, uh, let's wrap up so I can eat some lunch. I'm very hungry. Oh, oh my gosh, my stomach has been grumbling through this, and uh, hopefully you can't hear it on the tape. <laughs> I feel like Mr. Clones right now. <laughs> I need a corn dog. <laughs> oh my god, right? Thank you for listening. This has been Truths Universally Acknowledged. I'm Molly. And I'm Emma. And you can find me on Twitter at M-J-K-E-R-A-N. And me at Chingon Academic. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please share it with your friends. Leave a rating and review. We really appreciate you for listening. And tune in next week 
as we talk about this masquerade and apparently Prince Charming. Oh boy. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>